Welcome to People's Church radio program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. Our guest speaker today is becoming a familiar face around here, Dr. Phil Nordine. Um, <clears throat> Dr. Nordine has been involved with many different organizations. He still keeps his hands in as many pies as possible. And uh, is that not true? I'm telling the truth. As, as many pies as possible. Um, he's always led with great uh, influence, integrity, and has uh, really a strong reach across many different areas of Christianity. Um, it's just recently he and I have partnered a little bit with a Ethiopian ministry also. In the last few years, this church has come behind uh, something that he was doing in Ethiopia. You must understand, he's got so many different irons on the fire, but this was going too. It is a ministry to uh, children based on education, food, and provides them um, the opportunities in some of the areas outside of their main centers for uh, really the opportunity to build their life. Of course, it's also the introduction to the Christian faith and reinforcement of personal relationship in Jesus Christ. And we've been privileged to be a part of that now for I think a couple of years, something like that. And I would like you to spend a little time to reinforce what we're doing together there. But before he does that, let's welcome Dr. Phil Nardine. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you and to tell a little bit of what's going on in Ethiopia. We started there about 10 years ago, involved in speaking at a conference. And through that and through many connections over the time, we have come to the point where we have developed a school for orphan children. And the school is in the city of Nekemp. It's about a six-hour drive from the capital, and we have 360 orphan children that are receiving education. It uh, involves a staff of 22 teachers and uh, instructors, educators. We have discovered in Ethiopia that children do best when they stay in their environment even if they're orphans, if they're staying with an aunt or an uncle or a cousin, it, they survive far better. They're so relational. They uh, survive far better than if they were in an orphanage building. No reflection against people that do orphanages. That's just been our experience. Our children, I call them our children, are the ones from the most desperate situation. The average household income of a child in our school is $5 U.S. per month. And so if they were not with us, uh, we feed them 24-7, 365 a year. We provide them with clothing, two meals a day, and an education. So uh, the authorities have advised us that if we were not there providing for them, they would either be beggars or in prostitution. So we consider it such a delight to be there, and I'm so grateful for this church 
and uh, your support, your pastor has been so generous with us, and uh, children are receiving an education and a and food and clothing because of this church in Ethiopia. So you can thank God. I'm I'm happy to be with you, and I was I was so pleased as I listened to the worship set this morning because it it reinforced everything in me about the message that I have to present to you. So I was uh, I have intercessor I have people that pray for me as I speak, and they are doing that now as we speak. I was on the phone with them this morning and inviting them to do that. I trust, I trust the Holy Spirit to communicate through me. And that is, without it, it's just a message. But with him, it's got the power to transform lives. So let's pray really quickly. Holy Spirit, I invite you to communicate through me. And I thank you for your favor upon this church. And upon these people today, in Jesus' name. I would like to start the message this morning with a little bit of a history lesson. Uh, We have a slide that we're going to bring up. And some of you may recognize who I am talking about when you look at this slide, when it gets there. And... uh, this, uh, you'll probably recognize these two individuals, Peter O'Toole and Omar Sharif, from the great movie, Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, I have another slide of what it actually looked like. And uh, these are the gentlemen gathered, uh, Lawrence of Arabia gathered together with his uh, cohorts there. You see them. In the black and white picture that I think that was taken in about 1921 or so. And Thomas Edward Lawrence was born August 16, 1888 in Wales. He's known as Lawrence of Arabia. He became famous for his exploits in British military as a liaison to the Arab revolt during the First World War. The desert raids of Thomas Edward Lawrence and his Arab rebels tied down the Turkish troops who could have been fighting the main British armies in the Middle East. Lawrence of Arabia's struggle against the Turks during World War I was a classic of guerrilla warfare and his personal account has become a classic of world literature. Many of you have seen the movie. Lawrence wrote about his Arabian adventures in a volume of books called The Seven Pillars of Wisdom. The title comes from the book of Proverbs 9 and verse 1. Wisdom has builded her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. So prior to the First World War, Edward Lawrence had begun a work on a scholarly book about the seven great cities of the Middle East. He's going to entitle it The Seven Pillars of Wisdom. When war broke out, it was still incomplete, and Lawrence stated that he ultimately 
destroyed the manuscript. He wasn't happy with it, so he destroyed it. Later, during the Arab Revolt of 1917-1918, Lawrence based his operations in Wadi Run, now part of Jordan, and one of the most impressive rock formations in the area was named by Lawrence the Seven Pillars of Wisdom. We'll show you the picture of that rock formation that was so unusual out in the desert. There it is, Wadi Run, the Seven Pillars of Wisdom. Lawrence kept extensive notes throughout the course of his involvement in the revolt. He began work on a clean narrative in the first half of 1919 while in Paris for the peace conference. Later that summer, in Egypt, and by December 1919, he had what he considered a fair draft of most of the ten books that make up the seven pillars of wisdom. But listen to this. He lost it. (laughs) He was... Can you imagine... Pastor, writing 10 volumes, 335,000 words, and you got it in your briefcase and you're changing trains in the Reading Railroad, and you leave your briefcase on one train and go into the other, and you got, you've lost everything. While the local newspapers alerted the public to the loss of the hero's manuscript, but the draft remained lost. Lawrence had referred to this version as text one and had said uh, that it would have been, I'm sorry, 250,000 words in length. In early 1920 now, Lawrence set out about the daunting task of rewriting as much as he could remember of the first version. Working from memory alone, he decided and he began to write, he was able to complete text two. 400,000 words this time. And it took him three months. Can you imagine handwriting? (laughs) 400,000 words over three months. And he described this version as hopelessly bad. (laughs) In literary terms. But historically, it was substantially complete and accurate. With text 2 in front of him, Lawrence began working on a polished version, text 3, in London, in Ammon, during 1921. Upon completion of its 335,000 words in February 1922, Lawrence burned text 2. He hadn't learned his lesson yet. He then proceeded to have eight copies typeset and printed in the presses of the Oxford Times, And this private edition became known as the 1922 edition, or the Oxford text of Seven Pillars. He went through the books and painstakingly handwritten, made handwritten uh, corrections to six of these copies, had them bound. In 2001, the last time one of these rough printings came to the market, It fetched almost U.S. $1 million at auction. This time, instead of burning the manuscript, Lawrence presented it to the Bodean Library. Now, back to our message. During the war, Lawrence formed close friendships 
with many of the sheiks of Arabia. After the war, he brought these sheets back to England to show his appreciation for their support against the Turkish domination. They had a wonderful uh, visit. They appeared before the Joint House of Commons and Parliament, had an audience with the Queen. And on the last night of their visit, Lawrence wanted to present them with a gift to show his appreciation for their support and their guidance during the war. They led him up to their hotel room after he said, what would you like to take home? Took him up to their hotel room, into the bathroom, and pointed to the faucets in the bathtub. And they said they wanted to take faucets with them that would provide them with running water in the deserts. Well, (laughs) of course, that's the first time they'd seen running water like this and bathtubs, etc. They didn't realize that the faucets were superficial. Behind them was plumbing, a source of hot water, an energy source that heated the water, a city main that supplied the water, a reservoir that contained the water, and all this plumbing and all this work all came together and terminated in a faucet that stood in the bathtub and provided them with warm water. That leads me to the title of the message today, There's No Magic in the Faucet. The magic, folks, is not in the faucet. It's what's behind the faucet that makes it functional and useful to us. Without all that power and all that source behind the faucet, it's just a faucet. It could be 24 karat gold. It can be, it can have pearl handles. And really, a faucet is just a faucet. You go on a construction site and you'll find an old brass one, rusty and covered with cement, but it's still a faucet. You turn the tap and it works. And so, all these different kinds of faucets are so useful in providing water, but they need a connection. The magic's not in the faucet. The first thing I want to say to you this morning is that the faucet is necessary to get the water where it needs to be. I'm leading you someplace, folks. I don't want to minimize the importance of the faucet. God uses faucets. God has always worked through human vessels. In fact, most of the time, God works through unlikely vessels. I'm amazed by it sometimes. God needs us. God can have all the plumbing in place, have the pump hooked up, ready to pour out blessings on his people on the world, but he needs vessels. He needs a faucet. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, we read this. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. 
that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The power is God's. I am just the vessel. So when we read something like this, we have a choice. Some immediately go to, I am nothing. It's all God and me, so I'm just a worm and he enables me. Or there's those that say, I've got a treasure in me. I am of value. I've got something to contribute. And the reality is that both are right. We can embrace both positions. But even with all that in place, and with that understanding, I realize that the faucet can have limitation. And it works like this. My benefit to you, listen to me carefully please, is determined by how you receive me. Perhaps I can illustrate it. If you receive me in my humanity and who I am, and my abilities, then I am only of value where I am more expert than you are. Today they help me with the slideshows and putting together, it takes a lot of knowledge and skill for James to put all that together and make this happen for your benefit and to make it easier for me to communicate. So when it comes to navigating computer procedure, James has a lot more skill than I do, so he is more expert in that and is able to assist me. But when it comes to negotiating with government officials and ambassadors in Ethiopia, I could probably be more expert than James. And that is relying strictly on my benefit to him and my humanity. Or his benefit to me and his humanity in his skill. But when you receive me in my calling, and with the God ability in me, then the benefit is only limited by your acceptance of that. I can explain to you, I had a home builder in a recent church, and he was at a point of decision in the development of his business. He was leading contractor in Calgary and about to expand in a whole new development in his business. Now, I know a little bit about construction, but I am not a home builder, and I'm surely not a developer. So when he came and he approached me for a decision about what to do about his business going forward, he did not approach me in my humanity or my skill. He approached me as a pastor that he was confident would hear something that I could communicate to him that was beyond my capacity. The result was... We prayed together, 
And in 20 minutes, we had an answer for him, and he went on and succeeded in the expansion of his business because of a word that he received through me because he depended on me as a man that could hear a communication rather than just as a man that had expertise. I hope you're following me today. There's something else that places limitation on the effectiveness of God to an individual or group, and that is the lack of a vessel. When Elijah was performing the miracle for the prophet's widow and the oil was flowing freely, I don't know if you remember the story, a widow approached an uh, Old Testament prophet and she said, you know, I, I owe a debt, I'm unable to pay it, and, and the man that I owe is going to take my children and make them work for him. Elijah instructed the woman, he says, go and collect all the vessels, all the oil vessels you can. And then he prayed over one vessel and she began pouring. And she filled vessel after vessel after vessel after vessel until she said to her children, get some more vessels, get some more pots. And they said, there is none left. And the scripture says, the oil stopped. The woman sold all the oil, paid off the debt, and her children stayed with her. Amazing story. Now, it gets interesting. Don't, please don't ask me to explain why God decided to use imperfect vessels to accomplish his work. It sometimes doesn't make sense to me that this God who can do all things would choose to restrict himself to moving through imperfect, flawed, or inconsistent humanity. I don't know why the Creator chooses to work through his creation. I, I really like your series that's coming up. What on earth am I here for? God is always seeking for men and women that he can use. At the day of Pentecost, God poured out his spirit on all flesh. God deliberately uses imperfect vessels to do his work. Moses stuttered. David's armory didn't fit. Timothy had a nervous stomach and drank wine. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Peter was too self-confident. Lazarus was dead. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a murderer. So was Moses. Jonah ran from God. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. doubted. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. No, just kidding. He was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burned out. Martha was a worrywart. Mary might have been lazy. Samson had long hair. 
Noah got drunk, and that's not all. But God didn't require a job interview. He doesn't hire or fire like most bosses because he's more our dad than our boss. He doesn't look at financial gain or loss. He's not prejudiced. He's not partial. He's not judging. He's not grudgy. He's not sassy or brassy, nor deaf to our cry, nor blind to our need. Listen, God needs a vessel to work through. Elijah said, or Ezekiel rather, that God was seeking a man to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. Remember when the Lord struck Saul, the great persecutor of the church, running around arresting the followers of Christ, taking them to jail? And God struck him off his horse on the road to Damascus. He then told Saul, go see Ananias, he will tell you what to do. Think about that. The God who knocked Saul off his horse and he's blind and God tells him, go get Ananias and he will tell you what to do. Well, God's already talking to him. Why not tell him yourself? Because God wanted a vessel. Well, if you look at it in the bigger picture, Ananias was a well-respected man. He was well-received. He's a man of authority. Well-known. And so when Ananias endorsed Saul, now Saul has more gravity and more strength to his ministry. God uses vessels. Do you understand today how important you are to the work of God? God does not move without a vessel. He will not pour his spirit without a faucet for it to flow through. You are that faucet. God needs you. And he needs me. I remember Bill Hybels speaking at a conference. And he told the story about a volunteer in his church. Some of you may know who Bill Hybels is. The great church that he built in the States. Uh, in fact, initiated an entire movement. One day, a man approached him, all nervous. He's his construction worker type, a mechanic. And he came up to him and Bill describes him. He was in a t-shirt, had one sleeve rolled up and a pack of cigarettes in the sleeve. He was kind of awkward and his shoes were a mess. And He says, I think I can help. And Hybels looks at him and he says, what do you mean? He says, well... I notice some of your ladies in the church have old cars. I can help. And he started, Bill says, well, help yourself. Go ahead. So he went out and they separated out all the widows and all the single moms, all the single ladies that had cars that needed repair. 
and this rather rough mechanic that couldn't communicate well got together a whole army of mechanics and all the women that didn't have finances to repair their cars had their cars repaired in that church free of charge and he was a wonderful blessing. He was just a mechanical faucet. What a blessing he became. In the year 1847, a doctor from Edinburgh, Sir James Simpson, discovered that chloroform can be used as an anesthetic to render people insensitive to the pain of surgery. From his early experiences, Dr. Simpson made it possible for people to go through the most dangerous operations without fear, pain, and suffering. Some even claimed that this was one of the most significant discoveries of modern medicine. Some years later, while lecturing at the University of Edinburgh, Dr. Simpson was asked by one of his students, What do you consider to be the most valuable discovery of your lifetime? Dr. Simpson replied, My most valuable discovery was when I discovered myself a sinner and that Jesus Christ was my Savior. The most valuable discovery that you and I can make this morning is that when I partner with God, I become sufficient for every challenge. When God works through us, there is no limitation to what can be accomplished. And then finally, when I receive others in their calling and I receive the God in them, then I receive all that he has. There's no magic in the faucet, but God needs lots and lots of faucets. The book of Philemon only has one chapter, and verse 6 reads like this, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. This came to mind while I was on the platform here. And I remembered how and one day I received that scripture when I was going to a leading church in Argentina that was totally polarized between two ministries and about to go through a great faction. And I knew they sought me for my wisdom in it and my direction. And I knew I was way over my head. 
and I got directed to that scripture. I pray that the fellowship of your faith might become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Every one of you have a faith that becomes effective when you acknowledge the God that is in you. As they led the worship song this morning, I thought it's so appropriate from the inside out. And I'm asking the band to come, if they would so kindly, along with your pastor. And if you'd help me conclude this today, I'd appreciate it. And uh, I want you, I'm going to invite you to consider How is the God in me going to be expressed in the coming weeks? What is it that I can contribute that I'm, I've been hesitant about? And I haven't, perhaps I haven't even considered that I don't need to be gifted. I don't need to be a spectacular piano player I can I can be used as a vessel for the goodness of God can we pray Father we thank you that you have you have a place for every one of us and you have a purpose for every life and that as we receive from you, as you work through us, then your efforts are multiplied into the lives of so many others. We love you today, and we're so grateful to you for choosing to use us to extend your kingdom to those that are in need. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And just like that song said from the inside out, there's an internal response needed to sometimes messages that come our way. It's from the heart. This is a message that goes to your heart. And you have a response that's necessary. You know, when the Holy Spirit in my life speaks to me and uh, takes moments like this, and I know that there's going to have to be some kind of inside response that's going to shape my actions from that point forward. It's going to shape choices from that point forward. That's where you can be this morning. I think many of you are there. You're a faucet. You're a faucet into your family. You're a faucet into your community. You're a faucet into wherever God has placed you or will take you. The key for you is to always have that connection. Things disconnect us, Christian. And there's certain things that we have to make sure that internally we're dialed in. And so we're going to have a closing prayer and you evaluate your internal response to the idea that God can do amazing things through you. That he is in you as a believer in Jesus Christ. And that his Holy Spirit being resident there has no limitations of what he can put through that faucet. But it's got to be connected. Father, as we bow our heads in a closing prayer, we thank you for your word, your scriptures, Lord, how you practice this, 
how you, Lord Jesus, were so connected together with the Father and the Spirit and three, one, oh Lord. We don't quite understand those things, but we know in our hearts there's far more to us than what people see on the outside and that there is deep layers. I pray that today, though, in many of our hearts, there be this internal response that just says, Lord, I really do want you to work from the inside out in my life. I want that connection fresh. I want it strong. And today, I am renewing that connection. I'm saying, I am your faucet. (laughs) I want your water. I want (laughs) you to move through me. I have my humanity. I have my skills. But I want your water. (laughs) I want that to flow through my life. Father, hear our prayer. Hear our internal response to this today. And may you give us the faith and courage to put some boots to it, some choices, some actions, as we go and practice being a faucet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. And uh, don't forget that uh, we've got a lot of special things. Keep in touch with what was announced today, too. And... uh, Dr. Phil, thank you again for being with us. Appreciate the word that you brought. God bless. Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.